Hey friends, welcome back to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. So if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you know that one of our big focuses here is to explore the before and after of kind of what happened to us as a culture and as humans over the last... 100 to 150 years, kind of that industrial revolution era. Now, of course, our health is something that has been drastically affected over that period of time. And we've talked about that in various capacities here on the show. Uh, But today I want to dive into a particular area of our health, uh, gut health. And we've had some episodes on fermented foods, and we have another one actually coming up here in a couple of weeks. Uh, and we've, we've skirted over this topic, but today I'm so excited to have an expert in the world of gut health to really get into the nitty gritty with us. What he's going to share today will blow your mind. And I think if you're anything like me, it's going to underscore how important this really is and how the old fashioned on purpose life that you're chasing can do wonders for this area of your health. So, Josh Deck is a ex-paramedic, a holistic nutritionist, and a medical lecturer who specializes in digestive diseases. I had the privilege of going on his podcast, The Reversible Podcast, um, a few months ago, and now I'm so excited to have him here. So welcome, Josh. It is an absolute pleasure to be here, Joel. I'm really looking forward to this. Me too. Yes, we had such a great conversation last time. I mean, we didn't intend to do you know this this uh, episode here on mine, but we just hit it off and we're like, let's talk again. So this is going to be so good. Uh, You're a wealth of knowledge. Can you give us a little bit more background on yourself before we dive into the rest of this topic? And I'm especially curious, why is this such an area of passion for you? So, you know, it's it's not that cool of a story on how I got here. It really depends on how you spin it. Um, I used to be a paramedic, and I actually intended to be a paramedic. I was actually trained to uh, do my flight medic so I could ride in the helicopters, and it's all kinds of years and years of extra school to do that. But when sort of push came to shove, I actually moved across the country. I'm up here in Canada. So I graduated from Ontario, worked in Newfoundland, and came out to Alberta to try to get my license transferred. And it wasn't a medical questionnaire. It was all questions like, if there's a complaint against you for professional misconduct, how many members of what board will sit on the hearing committee and all kinds of nonsense that wasn't my job. An open book test job. Never felt stupider in my life. I failed it seven times. Oh, man. Uh, Yeah, I had two other people trying to search these documents and find the answers, and I failed seven times. I'm okay. Like, this has got to be divine intervention. I'm like, God is telling me not to be a paramedic. So (laughs) I got into personal training, something I've been doing for years anyways. And I just really started to push this understanding that there's something wrong with health. As a paramedic, I saw the same people over and over and over, week after week. We pick up and pick up and pick up for the same issues until one day they stop calling right? Because they're dead. And so the Western world just gave them more drugs and more drugs for diseases that never existed a hundred years ago. When I got into personal training, there was a woman I was working with name was Lynn. She came to see me at 57 years old. And this was near the beginning of my career. And we started working a more holistic approach. She had 17 pills and insulin for breakfast, nine more pills and insulin for bedtime. She had high blood pressure. Her heart was on the fritz. She slept with a CPAP machine. She was on the disability list at work. And these, these, these issues just kept stacking and stacking. And so over the course of the next two years, she got in better shape and better shape. I got her into strength training. She started lifting. She's 59 now. And I said, Lynn, do you trust me? She goes, yeah, I think so. I said, well, I hope so. By now, I said, sign this. <laughs> and so she ended up signing this paper. I said, great. You are now a contestant in the next Raw Powerlifting Federation competition. And 
It's going to be, here's your registration fee. Here's this, here's that, get you a singlet. Age 59, she competed from going from the disability list at work and 20, what, 28 pills a day in insulin to breaking her first world record as a weightlifter. And it kept going. It was 59, 60, 61. She broke many records after that as a lifter and many of them were her own. And it was incredible. And so that really changed my perspective on what's possible, the human body, where the Western world normalizes this degrading after 30, 40, 50 years old, this decline. By the time you're 50, there's some crazy stat. I forget exactly. I think it's 60% of people over 50 years old and all the US are on two or more prescription drugs. Yeah. Imagine the revenue from that. So sick people are profitable. And so I just started seeing it differently. And that's, I got more and more into the holistic health and I became a nutritionist and I started helping people with all kinds of issues like PCOS or endometriosis or thyroid issues, weight loss resistance, and it always came back to the gut. And so I started getting asked to help with IBS and then inflammatory bowel disease. For those of you who don't know, that's Crohn's and colitis. We are mm. dealing with some people, 30, 40, 50 bowel movements a day with blood and pain and mucus. And it's been compared to childbirth by clients mm. of mine who have given birth. So I, I believe them, right? And yeah. so we have these severe diseases. And the more I started to correct them, the more I saw that the Western world just disregarded all the possibilities of modern life that are contributing to these diseases because we've never had them before, ever. And so that's sort of how I got here. And my personal passion comes from myself and my family. You know, um, my dad has gut issues. I had gut issues most of my life. My mom actually had bowel surgery from a perforation mm -hmm. in her gut. So gut's been near and dear. She, I mean, I was what 14 and she almost died. And so it's been a very close to home issue for me. And there's no greater feeling than having people who come in who have no quality of life. They're housebound or they have kids five, six years old with blood in their stool who are on drugs. Now the doctors say for the rest of their life and they can go back to normal, live a normal life, come off their drugs and just be kids. That's amazing. Yeah. I don't know. You said that wasn't a very exciting story. I think that was a pretty darn good story. <laughs> There's some passion there. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. Maybe when you're in it, it seems a little bit monotonous, I guess, if, sure. you, if you've lived it. Sure. <laughs> yes. No, I feel that about my story too. I'm like, this isn't interesting. And everyone else is like, yes, it is. But we, we just get too close to things. Yeah, I um, just told my wife yesterday, yeah. I was like, she bought this 40 acre homestead and it was super cool. And you're like, yeah, well. <laughs> yep. I'm like, it's not that exciting. Everyone does it. And I'm like, actually, I guess maybe, maybe not, but it's just yeah, funny how we get... <laughs> Yeah, we get numb to it. <laughs> we say it too many times. Um, yes, yes. I love what you said about how our society normalizes this degradation as we age. And I'm, I've just been really becoming more and more interested and aware of that. I mean, I'm 38 this year. So I'm not ancient, but I also, you know, I'm seeing things shift in the people around me. I mean, I've always been fairly health minded. I'm active. I eat whole foods, you know, but I, I'm watching people around me who are in similar age and I'm watching the differences in how they're aging. And it's shocking even in late thirties, early forties, how quickly some of them are going downhill and it's scaring me. So I'm, I'm sitting here going, okay, I don't want to be letting it get so far down the road that I have to work 16 times as hard to get back where I need to be. Mm -hmm. I'd rather start taking steps now as I get older, just to set myself up for success. And so I think that's such an important um, thing just to recognize. It doesn't have to be like that, right? Like we don't have to listen to that modern narrative that this is normal. You're absolutely right. The modern narrative of what's normal doesn't take into account optimal. And what we're doing is we're comparing average against an average population of sick people. 
And so even when we look at basic things like quality of life, expectations for ourselves, our health, our wellness, if we look at even on a scientific level, we look at blood work that your doctors are taking, their reference ranges for normal are based yes. on a sick population where 97.3% are not metabolically healthy. So you have 2.7% yes. who have healthy levels, healthy body weight due to good health choices, not disease or sickness or something else. And so our normal is based on a 97.3 of sick people. And it is, yeah. it's a huge, huge issue. Yeah. It's, it's shocking when you start to dig into the statistics. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I know speaking of statistics, you shared some really interesting ones with me before we were getting on this call and kind of as we're preparing for this conversation. Um, can you share those with the audience? Cause I think those were pretty alarming and also really highlight how prevalent these gut issues are. I know my audience, like I mentioned in the intro, I think they have a surface level awareness of gut mm-hmm. stuff as we hear people kind of mention it here and there. Um, you know, there's that saying all disease begins in the gut. I see that touted around homestead circles, but your statistics bring a new gravity to that. Can you share those with us? Absolutely. And I think the statistics is exactly that. It's a new gravity. It's a new understanding. It's not something that, you know, is kind of a fleeting thought, but this is the level of tangibility we're dealing with. Gut issues, we know. Gut issues are connected to every single disease. We're talking MS, diabetes, Alzheimer's, ADHD, depression, anxiety, arthritis, joint pain, autoimmune conditions. All these come back, like insomnia, everything comes back to the gut. Now, is the gut directly 100% responsible? Not in all cases. There's a lot of factors. The body's very complex, but it has a direct majority player or direct majority root in many of these diseases. In fact, if we look at 14, according to the CDC, 14 out of 15 are the leading causes of death that are listed by the CDC. We're talking stroke, heart disease, um, liver failure, kidney failure, right? All these issues, diabetes, Alzheimer's, all this are leading causes of death. They're directly connected to the gut. They're chronic inflammatory conditions connected to the gut. The 15th cause unlisted is actually self-harm injury or suicide. Mm. And so 14 of the 15 of things that we're calling quote natural causes are actually inflammatory conditions connected to the gut that are entirely preventable. And that's bizarre. Yeah. And so if we take that one step further, I talk about Crohn's and colitis. So for me, all gut disease, this is why I, I, I got to say I'm so successful with gut disease and the Crohn's colitis because I just see it differently and I want more people to see it differently. All gut disease is a spectrum. If you look on the very low end of the spectrum, it's something like a little bit of bloat, a little bit of heartburn. It gets worse to IBS. It gets worse to severe IBS to where you have inflammatory bowel disease different disease processes for the naysayers, but it's a spectrum, right? One can lead to the other. And mm. so if we look at inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, according to the CDC, these severe gut diseases, there's about six, six and a half million cases worldwide actively being treated by a doctor. The United States of America is less than 5% of the global population, but has 50% of those diseases. Wow. which are considered, it's bizarre, right? Yeah. Considered autoimmune, idiopathic, which means no known cause. We don't know where it's coming from. There's nothing we can do. Take these drugs, five-year-old, 10-year-old, 50-year-old. Hopefully one day we don't cut out your colon and do your best of your life for now. Yeah. But when 5% yeah. of the population has 50% of the disease, it is asinine, if not criminal, to tell us that there's no known cause. There's nothing we can do. We're just not looking at the evidence. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone doesn't have one of the big name ones like Crohn's or colitis, Mm -hmm. they may be, they're listening and they're like, I don't know if I need to keep listening to this episode. It doesn't really apply to me. What would you say? Are there other smaller like Mm -hmm. clues that your body's giving you? You're not, you're not in the colitis, you're not in the IBS zone yet, but what else should someone be watching for? 
totally. Anything that's even relatively benign. If you think a little bit of bloat, that's a gateway. A little bit of acid reflux is a gateway. A little bit of heartburn or GERD. Um, a little bit of loose stool once in a while. 72% of Americans, they may not have a diagnosed condition, but 72% complain of some kind of gut issue once a week. That's mm-hmm. going to be your bloat, constipation, diarrhea, acid reflux, abdominal pain, cramping, something. It's a spectrum. If you think of it this way, you're a homesteader. You spend a lot of time outside. You're hiking through the fields. You're moving. You're on your feet. What happens if you don't wear socks inside your boots? you get a blister. Right? Yeah. At first it rubs a little bit, it's irritated, gets red, gets blistered, gets raw. And if you keep going, it'll bleed. If you keep going, you will wear mm-hmm. down to the tendon or the bone. And the same thing with gut issues. It may seem benign right now, but it is a gateway to severe, severe digestive disease. So much so that it stimulates your immune system to become an actual autoimmune condition. And that opens the gateway in the gut to every disease imaginable. And so something okay. as small as bloat, is a gateway to any disease down the road. Okay, interesting. So it's better to pay attention to those small signs before you get into danger territory. Yeah, just like you talk about getting ahead of things now and setting yourself up for age, proactivity is the number one thing we can do. Understanding how pervasive it is, understanding the roots and the triggers that contributing factors, but being proactive. It's when we start to ignore these things, go, ah, it's not that big of a deal, or it's just minor now. I've got the worst thing you can do with acid reflux is take antacids. That will make it 10 times worse. And so even the Western protocols for managing these problems, it's only symptomatic management. We're not actually addressing the roots. And one of the roots of acid reflux is actually low acid. But taking antacids suppresses it further, driving the problem more. And so we end up with bigger and bigger issues. Yes. I think one of my most overarching frustrations with all of Western medicine, there's many, but the biggest one for me is Oh, we don't know what causes it. Like that's, I feel like that's the answer to everything. We don't know what causes it. And it's just like, I'm like, I can't accept that. I I just like, my brain just doesn't like that answer. So it it drives me crazy. Um, So actually I didn't even realize this was my next question, but I just segued myself very nicely. Hello. What is causing the gut issues? (laughs) What what is causing this massive issue in all these millions of people? Or I'm sure there's more than one factor, but what are, what are the factors? Yeah. In fact, I think the better question is what's not causing the gut issues. Mm. Right. There is so much to it. It's so layered. And I look at everything. It's like a cake, right? There are so many layers that make a proper cake a cake, right? And the deeper you go, the more important it gets to have those foundations. And we look at life in the modern world. Like, you know, like I was saying earlier, I don't know if we were recording at the time we chatted about this, but it's happening to everyone. 72% of Americans, including celebrities, Drake is now yeah. taking something like a year off of music making, one of the most famous mu- or, um, artists in the world. He's taking a year off of music because his gut issues are so severe. Um, Dan Mm -hmm. Reynolds, he's a lead singer for Imagine Dragons. He has ulcerative colitis. Uh, Pete Davidson, comedian. I believe he's got Crohn's disease, right? There's so many of it out there. And so there's so much in the way of causes that everybody's affected. We have to look at our water. I know when you and I chatted on my podcast, you talked about the difference between tap water in the city versus well water. There's chlorine, there's fluoride, there's all these things. And these are additives in our water that are known toxins. Fluoride, we know to be neurotoxic. In fact, I was talking to a dentist. Uh, she's a functional dentist about this. We have no idea why they use fluoride to help fix your teeth. You don't actually have fluoride in your teeth. There's not a fluoride deficiency rather causing yeah. the teeth issues. What it is is bacterial issues. Fluoride is a known neurotoxin and there's a direct connection with countless studies showing lower IQs in children and all kinds. And so we have these things in simply things like our water, our day-to-day. 
If we look at our food, our pesticides, right? 50% more pesticides are approved in the United States than are in the EU or the UK. And so many of these are dangerous. They're known to create gene mutation. They're known to create alterations in your DNA. We know they cause issues in our gut. The same pathways, they destroy certain bacteria and plants or certain metabolic pathways. They destroy in our guts. And we have to understand, we know all disease starts in the gut, but the question is why? Well, you have upwards of 18 million different types of bacteria in your gut. 18 million different types, equating to mm. about 100 trillion different individual bacteria. They outnumber your own body cells 10 to 1, and they make up about 2 to 3% of your entire body weight. And they're responsible for just about everything. They help you detoxify. They help break down and digest and metabolize food and nutrients. They even produce certain vitamins like vitamin K and certain B vitamins. They are there. 70% of your immune system is connected to your gut. 90% of your neurotransmitters, which communicate to your brain and help signal moods and wakefulness and sleep and focus, concentration, all that stuff. It's all connected to the gut. Everything is connected in our outside body is a direct reflection of the inside. If you have skin issues, eczema, acne, whatever it is, arthritis, it all comes back to the inside of the gut. And so we have these things in our pesticides, in our food, our water, our freaking air. Everything yeah. is just there and it makes us sick. We have medications. We take antibiotics willy-nilly. I got a nine-year-old girl right now on my roster. I'm working with ulcerative colitis. Nine years old, blood in her stool with a severe gut disease, which again, it's a spectrum. But for the last you know, seven years or so of her life, three, four times a year, her parents would take her to the doctor for a flu or something else who would just arbitrarily, well, try this antibiotic and see yes. how you do. And it's crushed her gut. So now we have medications and pharmaceuticals. We have antibiotics. We have food. We have water. We have artificial foods, packaged foods, fried foods, things that aren't natural that destroy our gut. Inflammatory foods destroy the gut. And if they don't directly affect the bacteria, they create inflammation in the tissues and inflammation affects the bacteria. Right? You wouldn't live in a house that's on fire, neither can your bacteria. And so we have so many things combating against us, which is really the beauty of what you do in homesteading and old-fashioned living, old-fashioned on purpose. My wife and I were actually looking to buy an acreage. Um, I'm trying to convince you to get at least 30 or 40 acres so I can you know, have a proper farm yep. and do that and raise them and grow my own food and my own animals. But that's the best way to do it because even looking at the food you buy in the grocery store, Farm salmon is fed all kinds of junk. It's actually now known or considered in some circles to be one of the most toxic foods you can eat is farm salmon yes. because of the food, the high doses of mercury, the antibiotics, the coloring, they dye your food pink. And you could attest to this one, Jill, right? You have, you have your own ranch. You take care of your own meat, right? Yes. Look at the color in meat between a grocery store steak. It's bright pink. Oh, yes. It, right? And it's gray. Yep. And then the meat you get from a grass-fed, pasture-raised, grass-finished cattle is purple and brown. And you cook it, it's a deep brown with a purple hue. Yes. Even the color is different. The nutrients are different. And everything around us, it's like it's conspiring to just kill and destroy. It's wild. Yeah. So in essence, what we're trying to do, just and this may be an oversimplification, but we're just trying to not kill the gut bacteria, right? We're just trying to preserve those as much as we possibly can through all the different... <laughs> Keep them all in there. Keep them all happy. That's exactly it. I mean, your gut bacteria, it sets in stone kind of like a thumbprint between age three and four, right? And this is the beauty about nature and natural things. If we look at someone, if you're vaginally born and you are breastfed, in some instances, you have upwards of 70% decreased chance of having inflammatory conditions like asthma. But if yeah. you're someone who is C-section or born uh, in a bottle fed, as an infant, there's a higher risk of having other conditions and diseases. I see more people with ulcerative colitis who are C-section and bottle fed 
than I do mm-hmm. vaginal birth and breastfed because you get those great microbes. In the first three uh, three days of breastfeeding, a new mom produces colostrum, which lays down this really thick, beautiful turf inside the gut. And after that, it's full of probiotics and all kinds of great nutrients and vitamins and minerals that come from mom. But you get those bacteria that cross. If mom's healthy bacteria, baby gets healthy bacteria. And that's right away. And that starts to grow. It's kind of like a meadow. A brand new dirt patch or burned down forest will start to grow grass. Then you get bugs and other wildlife and bushes and trees until it grows into an Amazon rainforest. But that's what gut bacteria does. But if we destroy it early on through bottle feeding, through C-section and lacking those vaginal bacteria, like completely covering the body, ears, nose, mouth, if we lose that and we give antibiotics to kids at young ages... We, we torch that meadow before it can become a forest. And then we lose this teeming wildlife, this beautiful ecosystem that contributes to a healthy adult. And that's why so many people are sick. 72% of people complaining of diseases, 14 or gut issues once a week, 14 out of 15 leading causes of death all come back to the gut because we're destroying it without really realizing it. Hey friend, I'm interrupting this episode for just a second to give a shout out to our sponsor, Genuine Beef. Now, this is actually my beef company, the one that my husband and I started a number of years ago to bring our grass-finished Wyoming beef straight to your doorstep. And I know that whenever we start to shift into this fall and winter season, I get the very primal urge to stock up on food. And I know many of you feel that same way. So we have put together a freezer filler special to help you do just that. You're going to get four of our most popular beef roasts, the ones that are great for crock pots and those cozy winter meals, as well as three pounds of our 90-10 ground beef. We're going to put it all in a bundle and give it to you for 15% off while supplies last. Now, we can ship this to anywhere in the continental US. We do second-day air. We put a lot of dry ice in there, so it'll get to your doorstep safe and sound. And if you want to grab a box or two or three, head on over to theprairiehomestead.com slash freezer uh, to grab your bundle. And I'll go ahead and drop that link in the show notes too. Now, back to our episode. So this is one of my favorite questions to ask guests. And there might not be a clear answer in this topic, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Because um, my curiosity always gets the best of me. In your reading and your research, have you been able to identify a particular point in history where our, this gut issue really started to occur, or we, where the tide started to shift? It'd be hard to say. Um, specifically, but I can give you a few anecdotes. So if we go back to 1856, Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis was a Hungarian physician who discovered bacteria. It was only 150 years ago we discovered bacteria existed. And what happened is he was actually observing two different wards, two different uh, pediatric wards. The one hospital had just midwives and priests. The other one had doctors and nurses. And up until this point, we believed that the causes of death was evil spirits or you mm-hmm. know, God hated you or whatever it was. And so he discovered, well, there's something different about these wards. He thought maybe it was the prayers or the priests or the smoke, whatever it was. The, the nurses and the doctors, that pediatric ward, the death rate from mothers, new moms, was five times higher than the death rate of those where it was just priests and midwives. And so the question is, why are these doctors and nurses killing these mothers. They mm-hmm. actually came down with something called childbed fever. It was unknown, unexpected. They just had it and giving birth is dangerous. It turns out that Ignaz Semmelweis discovered the hospital that was doing uh, with doctors and nurses, this hospital with doctors and nurses was actually doing autopsies 
using the same medical instruments that they would then go and work on pregnant moms without washing their hands. They touch dead bodies and then delivering moms, introducing these new bacteria, staph bacteria and all kinds of stuff. So he suggested, why don't we wash our hands? Why don't we wash our medical instruments? And they thought, well, this is crazy. It doesn't make sense. And you'd think this would-be hero would have gotten accolades and parades because it did. It dropped the mortality rate. But the doctors in this other ward did not want to be blamed for giving these women childbed fever. Mm. And so they didn't want to be in trouble for this. They didn't want to be blamed for the deaths. So that he actually lost his job, ended up losing his license as a physician. He was sent away. Sounds about right. <laughs> Sounds like Human medicine. nature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we yeah. suck. We yeah, we do suck. <laughs> yeah. And so that was the discovery of bacteria. We look at the late 1800s. It depends on what lane you're in. I, I'm in the lane of like the government's trying to kill us. Everything's the worst and the world's a big yeah. conspiracy and we're all going to burn. <laughs> so we look at the Rockefeller movement back in the late 1800s with the Industrial Revolution. We used herbs and plants and natural medicine up until that point. Humans since the beginning of time have used, they've cured diseases and illness using these herbs and plant medicine. Right up until the late 1800s with the Industrial Revolution, there's actually a small documentary called Rockefeller Medicine, talks about how all these natural herbs and remedies were scrubbed from history. And then the pharmaceutical industry came in because they found out they could make medicines, like great things too, like penicillin that saved lives, but it came from petroleum products and byproduct of industrial waste. And that was a profit industry. So we now scrubbed all the medical textbooks and thousands of years of history in energy medicine and herbal medicine and, and understanding natural healing and natural processes and introduced pharmaceuticals. And now yeah. modern medicine is funded by big pharma. All the, uh, the studies that students get, the, the, the studies that we see, people say, oh, I want to see a double blind randomized control study. That costs millions of dollars. Who funds that? Big pharma. Because yeah. on the back end, they can take that research and say, well, you need this drug. But you're not going to see double blind randomized control trials on things like herbs and food and bacteria because you can't patent a plant. And that's the issue we're seeing now. So I think it goes from the discovery of bacteria to the bastardization of medicine for profit, to yeah. the indoctrination of modern doctors in this bastardized way. And now everybody's sick and the planet is dying. Yes. It's such a fascinating pendulum uh, shift back and forth. I, I especially have been interested, and I, I can't remember the date, so I'll have to refresh my memory. Um, because we went from this not that long ago, honestly, 1850 is not that long ago, mm-hmm. to where we didn't understand bacteria existed and we didn't really care that we were doing autopsies and delivering babies at the same time to having an awareness of bacteria to then we started to ne- to fear it. And when did that kind of germ theory, like that idea that all bacteria is bad no matter what, we should go scorched earth on it. When was that becoming popular? It's hit and miss. Depends on where you look. Somewhere around the early 1900s after antibiotics became a thing. After we started discovering penicillin and other things became inventive, we went, look, it's curing all these, these things. But even, even as late as the 1990s, right, I interviewed Dr. William Lee, and he is a fascinating man, one of the world's most renowned researchers and doctors. And he talks about this, even him, when he was going to university, they were taught, kill all bacteria. Bacteria yes. is bad. We have antibiotics. If we see it, we need to kill it. And at the same time, there were doctors like Leo Galland and Jeffrey Bland, um, you know, all kinds of these functional medicine doctors who at the roots of functional medicine in the 90s who started discovering bacteria can be good. We had bacteria in our gut and started wondering, what does it do for us? And it's not until the last decade, really, where you even acknowledge the microbiome exists. And then we discovered, well, we have microbiomes in our gut, trillions of them. They're on your skin, in your mouth, in your nose. You have the women have them vaginally, so it's actually part of natural birth. We used to even think the placenta was sterile, but now we know it's teeming with microbes. They're 
yeah. everywhere. And so you, you have a different microbiome on your face than you do in your hair or your eyebrows versus your scalp. It's all different and they do different things. When you kiss your partner, you trade bacteria. You kiss your dog, they lick their butt and lick your mouth. Yep. That can be <laughs> yep. good bacteria, right? <laughs> yep. So we're discovering now that a diverse microbiome makes a difference, but it really is right up until 20, 30 years ago, we were killing everything. But that, a lot of that education is still here. This little girl I was talking about, nine years old, her doctor for the last seven years has been giving her antibiotics a couple of times a year just to try. So mm. it takes on average up to 17 years for after a study comes out and is published to start permeating medicine. Some could argue up to 30 years for it to actually hit mainstream and doctors starting to take notice. And this is why if you're in the holistic world, you'll see that what your naturopath or your homeopath might have told you in the 90s is just now becoming mainstream. It's yeah. that far behind. Yeah, it's it feels so far behind. And I know that when I'm I'm continually shocked and amazed when I'm around but the homestead crowd is not this way, but like non-homestead folks, f- friends, family, whatever, locally. Normies. <laughs> Normies, yeah. The, the uh, uninitiated. <laughs> There's still this, and sometimes it takes me off guard because I live in the world of my books and the podcasts I listen to and, the, you know, getting to talk to people like you. So sometimes I think, well, everybody gets this. And then I'm around the normies and I'm like, you're still scared of bacteria like it's 1920. Like, put the hand sanitizer away, Barbara. You don't need it. Like, why are you bleaching everything? And like, they're scared of food and they're scared of live food and they're scared. You know, I always, people, I get this question a lot. They're, they're worried about the yogurt in their refrigerator going bad. And I'm like, it's alive. It's, it's happy bacteria. Like, you don't need to worry about expiration date. Well, it expired. I'm like, don't read the expiration date. Let the yogurt tell you if it's still good. Yeah. I mean, it's just if like, it's moldy, like throw it out. if it's moldy, throw it out. But I'm like, people are so still so petrified of bacteria. I'm like, oh man, we got to work on this. We got to change this perception. Oh, do we ever? Yeah. I mean, you know, yogurt is one of the greatest sources of probiotics. If you know it's proper yogurt, obviously a lot of yogurt we see in, in the stores doesn't have a nice enough bacterial culture as maybe making your own. Right. But this is huge benefits, right? We have to recognize how important these small things really are. You know, we think, well, it's just a bacteria. It's not that big of a deal. If you look at what, what little things can do to a living organism, are you familiar, Jill? This is one of my favorite stories. Are you familiar with a, with a parasite called Toxoplasma gondii, a condition called Toxoplasmosis? Oh, is that the one you get if you like, I remember when you, I was pregnant, they're like, don't clean the litter box because you can get yes. toxic. Okay, that one. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, don't clean the litter box. You'll yep. get it from your cat. Yes. So, Toxoplasma gondii is actually a parasite. Now we think these little things, whatever, what's the big deal, right? Maybe pregnant women get sick. It's bad for your baby, but there's more to it. It's actually fascinating. This is what I use to illustrate the complexities of small individual microorganisms, like a parasite or a single bacteria on an entire human body. So Toxoplasma gondii creates this toxoplasmosis infection and its entire goal is to live in the belly of a cat because that's where it can hashtag live, laugh, love. That's mm-hmm. where it can grow and develop and breed and you know live its best life is in the belly of a cat. And it doesn't care which cat, any cat. You can live in a big cat, like a lion, tigers, bears, oh my. It can live in a house cat. It can live in a bobcat, any cat. And so its entire prime directive is to get to a cat. Like the prime directive of any human being, any species is to what? To grow, to breed, to pass on its genes. Yeah. This is how we're wired on a, on a primal level. In all organisms, um, humans, doesn't matter. Fish, we're all wired for the same reason, even bacteria and parasites. And so this bacteria, this little parasite is so powerful. What it'll actually do is it will get into any organism that it thinks might get into the belly of a cat. And so we see mm-hmm. it quite often in rodents. Now, mice from birth 
they're actually trained. They, it's wired into them to be afraid of cats. Even a mouse that's never seen a cat, it's genetically wired to be afraid of cats because they know their prey and they know their food. Even the smell of cat urine will make a mouse run the other way. Mm. But when Toxoplasma gondii, this parasite gets into a mouse, it overrides its very most primal survival instincts and actually leads it to be attracted to cats. It, it burns out. What? Right? Gets, oh yeah. Get what? This. It gets into the brain <laughs> oh and it burns out the fear center of the brain of the mouse. So it's not afraid of cats, but it goes one step further to actually turn on the sexual arousal when it smells cat urine. And so now it's no longer afraid of cats and it's attracted to them. So these mice will seek cats because that toxoplasma got into its body, rewired its brain to enter the belly of a cat by being eaten. And so what's even more interesting, I know, I, I get goosebumps talking. I know, it's like, unru- okay, keep going, keep going. <laughs> it's wild. And so they've actually found it many times in humans. And so the reason why, humans don't get eaten by house cats unless you die in your apartment by yourself, right? Sure, that's true. <laughs> that does happen <laughs> sometimes. Right? Yep. But in a lot of Eastern countries, look at Indonesia, <laughs> one of the, the only predators of a human is big cats. Mm. Tigers and other jungle cats that get wild and get into um, domesticated areas. And so it even affects humans. But it's really neat because this toxoplasma, we talked about how it burns out the fear center of mice, right, to get into the belly of a cat. It also does the same to humans. They've actually done studies on humans who perform acts of heroism, running into a burning building to save a stranger, jumping in front of a car to save a child. They found a lot of these people are actually infected with toxoplasma gondii creating these acts of heroism or lack of fear so much so there's been talk that the u.s military has even thought about experimenting with this this parasite in soldiers they'd run into battle without fear of death okay yeah oh my gosh this is the power this is the power of one small organism on an entire human being yeah so you have a hundred trillion gut bacteria what do you think if they're wired up properly and you you lay the foundation what can they do for you or if they're unwired and destroyed what can they do to you and this is what we need to understand yeah that is one heck of an illustration (laughs) that is just i think you win the prize for the most gripping illustration ever on this podcast so congratulations i can't take take total credit actually (laughs) i heard the story from stephen gundry and i've just sort of rewarded it to be my own but it is fascinating. It, it should just edit this and put it at the beginning of the show, and people will maybe be more interested in listening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, seriously, we'll hook hook them in with that. That'll work. Yeah. yeah. But it is fascinating what little things can do to a big body, and your your body is teeming with microbes. Like you are. So this is actually a thing from Stephen Gundry, um, very famous doctor physician, wrote the Plant Paradox and all kinds of other books you may know, and he says something like seven percent of your entire life is governed by DNA. Don't quote me on the exact numbers. He gave me an episode of my podcast, but 7% of your outcome of your life is based on DNA, predisposing factors, genetics. The other 93% is external factors in bacteria and microbes that change Mm. the outcome of your life. And so to set kids up poorly by giving them things like red dye, bad food, antibiotics, drugs, and medications at childhood, you are taking 93% of the rest of their life and changing it in a way we can't possibly understand. Right? We're still learning bacteria. We have about 18 million different variants. We've only studied maybe 100 of them where we extensively yeah. know the effects. And we're still learning more about them every day. And so by going away from natural in nature and what was intended from birth in the homesteading natural way, giving birth at home, yeah. and like even like a squatted position like you see in Egyptian hieroglyphs versus like laying on your back in a yes. hospital, these things all change in ways we can't possibly comprehend. 
I think that's one of the biggest downfalls of our culture is not understanding the impact of small things, whether it's just, you know, something like a good habit daily, you know, making a good choice daily or understanding that the thing you, you can't see the bacteria and the parasites, but they're like you illustrate, they're affecting us in huge ways. And I think we have such an out of sight, out of mind, or we want big giant sweeping solutions. And I think we're just missing the boat so much on that. Yeah. And I think it's becoming a culture we measure everything. We measure our weight. We measure our height. We measure everything. We quantify. Everything's got to be tangible. How many grams of this? How many calories of that? And we come from this culture of measurement. And so therefore, if we can't see, we can't measure, we don't care. And that's a very big issue because even, even in the health world, there are so many doctors that I've followed for years and years. Like there's one, there's one guy, he's a doctor. I used to follow him when I was a bodybuilder and he's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But, and he's one of the top in the world that you could look to if you were to Google online. But when we start to look at some of the stuff that these doctors will say, like red dye, right? Red 40, yellow number five. Yes. We see the, we know there are so many anecdotal studies that show correlations direct between autism, ADHD, anger outbursts, mood disorders, and all kinds of irritability in kids, which we then just give them drugs for. They can't focus yes. in school, so let's give them a drug. Yep. But it's affecting their gut and gut bacteria. Excuse me. It's affecting their gut and gut bacteria. And so what we're doing is saying, well, we need a double-blind, randomized control study that costs millions of dollars so we can then prove that this is a thing before we start to care. Yeah. We have hundreds of points of correlation data, when do we start to consider? And that's something we need to look at. We may not care or measure or give exact detail, but we need to put it into consideration because we know they cause problems, but we're not. The pharmaceutical companies are in bed with big food. They're in bed with insurance. It's one big incestuous pool of finances and money movement and embezzlement. And it's, it's crazy. And so why are they going to invest in a study to prove that red dye in the food that they produce, which is more profitable than natural food, by the way, that causes issues in kids, which you can medicate and have them on a subscription of medications instead of healing them and getting them to eat natural, less profitable food without buying medication. And that's the difference we see. It's a big issue. Yeah. There's yeah, there's no incentive to do it the natural way. There's no incentive to drink water. There's no incentive to eat it out of your backyard. Like no one is monetizing it, you know? And so, I mean, no wonder it's, it's not cool and it's not pushed. No, just follow the, follow money. the money. Yeah, follow, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> follow the money. Great minds, Joe. Yes, great minds, great minds. So, okay, I have a couple of questions here. Yeah, sure. I'm trying to figure out which one to ask first. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to this one. I don't want to get off track. So we talked about, you know, why gut health is important, why it's causing so much havoc in our culture, when it kind of started, the impact of a damaged gut. So let's get tactical. How on earth can we start to fix this and come back from where we I know your podcast is called Reversible. How can we start reversing this issue? Mm-hmm. It's a play on words, reverse able, A-B-L-E. Really hard to explain, but it looks good on paper. Yes. Maybe it was a poor branding choice. <laughs> <laughs> I've done those before. <laughs> made sense in my brain at the time. I know. A lot of thought went into this one, and sometimes it's embarrassing, but it's done. And so when we look at the gut and what we can do, we have to understand what's causing the issue, right? You can't fix a car unless you understand how cars work. You can't fix a gut unless you understand how it works. And so we know the problems. We know it's our water. If you can access well water, distilled water, if you can get access to a distiller in your home or a carbon filter, just something even basic, right? Those Brita filters, they're garbage. There's actually a class action lawsuit against Brita for not doing what they said they were going to do. So you got to watch those. If you have the money, get a Kangen filter. 
I think Bill Gates has like 43 of them in his house. Like it's, it's crazy. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. And if he's using it, the guy I think personally is at the core of most of these issues we have today, um, uh, then it's probably a good bet to keep you safe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So without going down that hole, um, we can look at our food. If you have access to growing your own food, many of us don't. I know even you buy food, right? And you have yep. this 40-acre homestead. You can't grow everything. Right. Talk to other people. Go visit local farms. There's a – maybe you have to look for better than, not best solutions. Yes. There's a there's a farm here, local. It's at the farmer's market I go to every single weekend. They have an orchard just next to me in, in British Columbia. And they're not an organic orchard, but they do one fungicide spray on the soil once a year in March or May. And they spray it one time and they don't spray anything after that, after they plant. And they rotate their crops. So it's kind of like a bioregenerative farm. Mm -hmm. So that's a better than option. So that's where I shop rather than the grocery store. And even that, you'll notice the food tastes so much different. And because it's not classified with an organic label, I mean, sure, you understand and many homesteaders understand what it actually takes to get an organic label on your food. It's extraordinarily expensive. There's tons of hoops to jump through. Just the certification and designation for organic is huge. And so looking at peaches, they're $6.99 a pound for organic peaches in the grocery store. Or regular peaches are three ninety nine a pound. Yeah. Well, if I go to these guys who do one spray and nothing after, and these peaches grow on a tree. They're three ninety or they're two ninety nine a pound. So it's the same as the non organic without the organic label. Yes. And so there are better than options, but we have to take this into our own hands because you can't trust the media. Just recently, there was a huge scandal between a bunch of social media influencers, nutritionists, dietitians who are saying, no, aspartame's fine, no neurotoxins, sucralose is fine, known to cause DNA damage, sugar's okay, give it to your kids. Turns out they were all paid by food industries to promote these products and promote sugar, which is profitable, which yes. makes kids sick, which leads into pharmaceuticals, which are profitable. And so when you get people like Dr. Joseph Mercola, who talk about nutrition, who talk about holistic and health, who actually put, they're, they're being deplatformed and being banned on social media for quote misinformation. And they're yeah. putting their licenses and livelihood on the, livelihoods on the line. Do you follow their information or the guys who are getting paid to say it? Right, like exactly. The ones who will risk everything versus paid. And so we have to be our own advocates and we have to look into the quality. Now, I don't expect everyone to go out there and be a researcher or a nutritionist. It's a lot of work, but find someone who resonates with you. Do some critical thinking, right? Critical thinking is so rare. It's basically a superpower in 2023. Yes. And so we have to look, yes. like, right? Homesteaders yeah. are critical thinkers. You guys know what's wrong. You guys look to natural. You understand these things. So put that same cap on when you look at your food, when you look at your water, just do some digging. Ask why, right? Why do these cause issues? Where does it come from? Right? Is, is it city water? There are a lot of states in the United States where it's illegal to collect rainwater. You have to drink city water. Why? Right? Why is it illegal to have a rain barrel? Is that just one of those old laws like Florida where you can't tie an alligator to a fire hydrant or yeah. can't eat an orange in the bathtub? <laughs> yeah. Or is it one of those things where it's like, you know, there's a reason they want you drinking their water? Now, I'm not saying everything's a conspiracy. I'm definitely like, I'm a tinfoil hat and shake my fist kind of guy. <laughs> but, you know, there are things that we have to look at and understand. Maybe it goes deeper than we think. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just a bad accident. But either way, look at your food talk to farmers, make friends. Maybe you grow one crop and your neighbor grows another. Have a trade, right? Set these up, create little communities. And that's the best thing we can do for ourselves. Yeah. And those are, yeah, simple steps. But like you said, they're not brought to our attention because they're not monetizable easily, at least not like drugs and, you know, fake food. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, 
I'm sure you're familiar with guys like Joel Salatin. Yes. Um, Just with him last weekend, in fact. He's awesome. Oh, he's a great dude. He's so much fun. So I did an interview with him a couple months back. I have yet to publish because we're, you know, eight months ahead on content. But we talked about exactly that, how like the food industry is just not profitable. There's There's no money in it bioregenerative organic farming is getting there. He talked about even guys like Monsanto and big producers maybe getting on board, but producing pesticides, producing food where the dirt is not nutrient rich, yes. right? That biogeochemical cycle where, you know, a, a fruit falls off the tree, it gets into the dirt, it rots in the dirt and it decomposes. And then that grows grass and the cow eats the grass and you eat the cow. That is a biogeochemical cycle, but we don't have that in modern agriculture where you're constantly tilling the soil, which is horrible by the way. Yes. You're monocropping. You're not cycling your plants through. You're not planting or moving cattle around. It just, it's dirt with a hole yep. that just holds a seed. It is artificially grown through fertilizers and pesticides. And so it lacks nutrients. And so many of us in modern day, you know, look at vitamin C, you can take a thousand milligrams a day as a quote supplement, but it's just enough to do something, but not enough to do anything. Yes. You might need 10 or 20 grams because your food is now void of nutrients because it lacks that cycling, which is natural and normal from a bio regenerative organic farm. And if more people got into farming, growing their own food, we had backdoor or backyard farms, or I'm in an apartment building. So on my balcony, I, I suck at growing food, Joe. I, I don't know if I told you this. I tried to grow a potato and it died. I mean, <laughs> so, it's hard to grow potatoes on a balcony though. So kudos for trying. Oh, thank you. It's doable, but, but it's hard. Yeah. I felt really stupid. So like, <laughs> I had these potatoes in a box, in a pantry that I did nothing to. And they grew these roots, which is fascinating to go straight up, like yes. looking for the top to grow over. Yes. But they're like these eight, 10 inch high roots in my cupboard. I'm like, I'll grow you. So I cut the top off and I put it in a glass of water and it dropped these roots and I moved it to soil and then it died. I'm like, it was better in the dark. <laughs> it was, in the cupboard it liked the pantry. It, <laughs> it <laughs> liked <laughs> the pantry. I'm like, I got a black thumb. It is terrible. But if you have the opportunity to grow some of your own, I have little herbs and stuff I grow um, or talk to farmers. You have to advocate. You have to understand yes. this stuff because it is literally the difference between life, death, and disease. And it's up to you to change that. Yeah. I heard a, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I heard a really interesting explanation of just the soil and how it's so sterile and dead in our modern mm. farming paradigm. And I think it was David Montgomery. He wrote a really good book called What Your Food Ate. He's a, he's a soil scientist. And he... I don't know. It's like I knew it, but the way he explained it, it, it clicked for the first time. He's like, basically, the soil microbes are like our gut microbes. And their purpose is to digest all the organic matter and the nutrients and the minerals in the soil. And that's what puts all of the goodness into the plants. And so when we're spraying the soil and tilling the soil and using glyphosate and all that, it's just like our guts is killing the soil, the gut of the soil. And then there's nothing left for the plants to uptake, which is just one of the reasons, like you said, our, our food is not as nutritious as it used to be because the soil is dead and sterile and it's not living like it's supposed to. So it's just fascinating how it all, the bacteria or the, the chemicals and the modern practices that are killing our gut bacteria are doing the same thing to the soil. And it's just this horrible layer of, of issues. So I just, I thought that was an interesting way to think about it. it yeah. It's so multifactorial. Not only are we nutrient void, but we're also bacteria void. Yeah. I remember growing up, I used to walk. There was a field behind my house before it became a big development, but I go and pick strawberries out of the field. My mom's like, there might be pee on it. I'm like, whatever. Yeah. I just eat it's them. fine. Right? My <laughs> wife grew up, her mom was a hippie. And so she'd pull carrots out of the garden, wipe them on her shirt and eat them. Yes. That's good soil, right? Yeah. Maybe there's microbes in there, but if you have good gut bacteria, you'll balance it. Yes. Right? It's all about balance and control. There are bacteria that are good and some that are bad. But even what we call bad 
even E. coli, C. diff bacteria that can kill people, we have them in our guts. They're yes. very normal part of our flora, right? Um, uh, candida, normal part of a healthy ecosystem. But when it gets out of control, that's when it's an issue, right? Every, every bacteria comes from somewhere and they all have a purpose. It's all about harmony, not only in our soil and our earth, but in our bodies. I mean, you think about it, e- even like bad bacteria, like stuff you might get from soil, like Morganella, Provotella, things that can cause gut issues, even benign gut issues or gut diseases, they come from somewhere, they have a role. If you think about it, Jill, every, everybody plays a role in the ecosystem or we'll say the economy, right? Yes. Even the crack dealer down at the gas station plays yep. a role in the economy, right? Whether we like yep. it or not. But imagine if every single store, every coffee shop, every grocery store sold nothing but crack, right? Obviously, we'd all be dead. Yes. There'd be nutrient deficiencies and fights and riots and all kinds of stuff. We'd never get anywhere. But in small amounts, when you have good bacteria from soil, from food, from your animals, from nature, they get in there, they police those things. So they can still contribute without overrunning. Mm. And we have these little communities and neighborhoods everywhere. And we need them. We need to be diverse. We need to try different foods. We need to stop sterilizing our hands. We need to stop bleaching everything. Like you said, we need to stop using, again, hand sanitizer. We need to get out there and be with people, be around people. The worst thing people did in COVID was sterilize, shut in, not go outside and stop seeing friends and family. In fact, you know, on that train, the people who did nothing, it just lived lives normally were the people who are less likely to get this, 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 this illness, whatever side of that argument you want to be on. It doesn't yep. matter. The stats are getting out and being in the sun, getting into nature, seeing people kept people healthy. But the, the directive was to do the exact opposite, sterilize, shut in, don't go outside, don't see the sun. Yeah. Yeah. And we, and I just was hearing a doctor not that long ago talk about how far behind, like, especially like children's immune systems are because of the extreme measures and um, development and development. Yeah. So it's this again, domino, not a good domino effect, but it, we're still seeing those uh, ramifications even now. Yeah. They're saying some kids on average dropped up to 10 IQ points lower, yeah. which is quite literally the difference between normal versus special needs. Yeah. or some kind of you know mentally delayed 10 IQ points is astronomical that's the difference between normal and intelligent or intelligent to gifted right yes. it's, it's so extreme and so that's we're just the farther we move away from nature the closer we get to disease that's yeah. as simple as I can put it yeah and I think like you said critical thinking is such a superpower these days I think so often you know it's just asking ourselves the question like what was the na- what how is this intended to be or how can we get back to the basics or what were we doing before the corporations and consumerism came in and just told us exactly what to do and i think that's one of the things just here is just so many of the things you're offering are just common sense solutions mm-hmm. um so i think just encouraging people just to think through it like ask themselves if is this thing i'm doing useful or helpful or natural and if not like just start digging into that a little bit deeper 100%. It yeah. depends on your lens, you know. It depends if you're spiritual. It depends if you believe in evolution or creation. It doesn't matter. For me, it was my personal lens when I viewed to creation. I'm like, oh, so there is a God. There is all this. And I start to see, well, this is the original design. Mm-hmm. And then I viewed it differently. And now we're using that knowledge. I, not, I don't use medicine to evangelize. Well, I guess what I'm getting at is that when we see it differently, you can see that it was all intended to be a certain way. There are tribes out in the jungles. You look into uh, tribes of Africa or the Amazon. They don't know. They don't understand infertility. They don't know obesity. They don't know acne. They don't know Alzheimer's. They're old people, right? They are elders. They're not elderly. 
Yeah. In North America, they're elderly because they're sick. They're a burden. They're declining because they're unhealthy over there. You get, they're 80 years old. They're still out hunting right? yeah. because they grew so much different. And so we look at the original natural design of things from whatever lens, it doesn't matter. You have to understand we come from the same place. We were intended to integrate with nature, but we've imposed even architecture. We impose our yes. housing, our buildings on ecosystems. Yes. Whereas every other thing in nature integrates with it. And we've separated ourselves so far from nature. We now have diseases we've never heard of for thousands of years. And all of a sudden now everybody's got IBS or ulcerative colitis or acne or Alzheimer's, obesity, and now calling it genetic, no known cause. I'm like, I can tell you there are many bacteria in your gut that are destroyed from glyphosate directly connected to weight loss or weight gain. Yeah. And so we can see these trends. We're just ignoring them because yes. it's, again, disease is profitable. Sickness, war, and disease are profitable. And if you understand that, you can see the decline of the planet, really. Like that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We got so far removed, we don't even know which way is up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, oh my goodness, an hour flew by. It's so good. I always love how it does. It I, know, I was going to say more things, yeah. but I'm like, I don't know if I want to, I got time. But yeah. I don't want to take advantage of yours either. So. I mean, I, if you have some more tidbits, I'm definitely not going to cut you off. I did have one other question yeah. and then feel free to add anything else that you feel like would be useful because I, this, this is too good to just like, we don't have to follow the clock. The clock doesn't tell us what to do. <laughs> so I, I always leave a minimum of 30 minutes, sometimes up to an hour. Like for like yourself, I left actually a two hour gap. I'm like, you never know. Maybe yes. you want to make two episodes. We can go on forever. Yeah. I know I actually felt like I cut our interview on my show short because there's so much we could talk about. So I, I left a gap. So go ahead. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I'm curious about like, we've talked about some of the things that can help like stop killing the bacteria in your body. But what if we want to repopulate the ecosystems? Like what are your thoughts on probiotics and probiotics that come from a pill versus a natural form? I'd love to hear your breakdown on that. Yeah. It's interesting because natural vitamins versus artificial are very different, but a bacteria is a living organism. And so what we actually do, instead of replicating or manufacturing a fake bacteria, we just culture natural bacteria in an artificial way, which, so the, the taking in of probiotics and supplements, it's fine. I'm, I'm a super advocate for it in a lot of cases, but you do have to watch because the regulation around probiotics we call them, we measure what's called CFUs. That's colony forming mm -hmm. units. That's how many bacteria, right? 20 billion or 5 billion or whatever. There's very little regulation around probiotics and how they're actually measured. So you might not be getting what you see on the, on the package. So you really do get what you pay for. And so in that case, I say, yes, in some cases, probiotics can be good. But as a gut specialist, I always advocate for testing because mm -hmm. if you have gut issues, so many people have overgrowths or undergrowths. And if we have these imbalances, we don't know what we're adding. There's millions of different varieties, right? We talk about 18 million different bacteria, a hundred trillion different individual bacterium living in the gut. And so if we look at this and say, well, I'm going to take this probiotic. Well, maybe it's a standard like a lactobacillus, bifidobacterium, some kind of acidophilus lacto strain. They're very common over the counter. Well, if you have an overgrowth of these bacteria already, you could be pouring gasoline on a fire without mm. knowing it. You can make your gut issues worse. On the other hand, you can talk to someone who, who works in gut and gut specialties, get a GI map done, a couple hundred bucks from a lab, right? Your doctor won't do them, unfortunately. People, well, I'll get my doctor to do it. Like your doctor hasn't done one yet. Why would they start now? You don't go back to the tattoo artist who screwed up your tattoo to yep. fix it. You go find somebody else. Yep. And so see a functional practitioner or a gut specialist of some kind who can do a GI map and adequately read one and say, okay, well, you're low in these areas, you're high in these areas. Therefore, these are probably some safe foods to eat because 
if you have a lot of gut issues and bacterial overgrowth, I'll put people on a carnivore diet or an animal-based diet away from fiber and starches because bacteria love those so they can mm-hmm. overgrow. If they have certain bacteria that are low, common ones I see are like acromantia, a lot of lactobacillus, a lot of basic ones you can supplement. I will supplement those for them. And that way you can actually put them in. Now, we talked about the meadow, right? This gut, how it yeah. grows like a meadow and turns into a forest. A lot of bacteria or bacterial strains aren't seeds. They come in, they come out, they pass through. Now they can produce a lot of benefits. They can do things on their way out, but a lot of them don't actually culture in the gut. Some of them do. We know some bacterial strains will, in probiotics, you take it, they can grow, they can culture, especially some that are actually called spore probiotics, they can grow in culture. And so that's a great way to help regrowing it. But ultimately, peel back the layers of that cake right? Why did it get demolished in the first place? Was it antibiotics? One-off? Okay. You can probably regrow it with food. If you had a good microbiome, a good healthy microbiome, you'll probably withstand a probiotic dose or two for a couple of days, weeks, or even months, and maybe you can bounce right back. But if you were born in a bad way or had a bad diet and spent a lifelong issue or lifelong time with gut issues, it's going to be a lot harder for you to regrow that bacteria in a beneficial way. So we have to get in there and be very targeted. Now, root causes everything. What else is contributing to the issue? Like I see in gut issues, again, benign gut issues are big ones, Lyme disease. I see mold. I see bacteria. I see mm. food, stress, medication, antibiotics, environmental, water, all kinds of issues. So always go back to the why because you can supplement till the cows come home. Yeah. But if you're not getting to the why, you will supplement literally until the cows come home. And I don't own cows. So that's a very yep. long time. Right? <laughs> yes. And yes. so we have to look at the roots. Always go back to why, why, why. So if you can supplement, awesome. But otherwise, go back, build the foundations. And some people who have active gut issues, you could literally crush fresh garlic in a glass of water, drink that twice a day for a week, and it might fix everything because Mm -hmm. garlic is very antimicrobial. I do a lot of for sickness and illness. I love natural stuff. I actually got these from Barbara O'Neill, absolute sweetheart of a woman. She still does the onions on the feet inside socks when people get sick. And I do it and it works. And so your body has microbes. They may not just be in your gut. They might be in your blood. Something like onions or garlic on the feet at nighttime, that will actually absorb into the lymphatic tissue in your feet, which circulates around the body. Your lymphatic in your bloodstream is a super highway that connects everything, including your gut and your brain and your skin and all of that. And so by getting things into the lymphs, it can have positive impact on everything else as well. Yeah, that's fascinating. Okay, so... What about like the hot topic in homestead circles is homemade fermented foods, you know, the sauerkrauts, the kimchi, the kombucha, kefir yogurt. What are your thoughts on those in terms of, I mean, I'm guessing you're not going to say they're bad. Is it that same sort of thing where it just depends on where your bacteria levels are? Totally. I mean, I know some people, everybody wants kind of a definitive answer. It's why we have politics that are left and right, not somebody playing the middle. The politicians go, well, some of this, some of that, they're the least popular. But when we look at extremes, everything gets all screwed up. It's why politics are a mess today. So if I say, yes, everyone should have kimchi, everyone should have sauerkraut, everyone should have fermented this, that, pickled foods, that can be a problem. So the classic example, fella I had seen earlier this year, actually, for gut disease, came in, he was eating tons of fermented foods. His gut was in the worst case, one of the worst I've ever seen. He actually, unfortunately, didn't do the program, ended up going out and ended up having his colon entirely removed. Mm. And so he had so much overgrowth. I said, get a stool sample. Guaranteed you have SIBO. It's a condition called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So if you already have gut issues, if you have a lot of allergies, if you have a ton of inflammation, if these foods and fibers cause you a lot of issues, it's probably weighing on the side of caution 
maybe get a gut test because those probiotic foods might be adding more bacteria to a community that's already overcrowded. And now you're putting gasoline on that fire without realizing it. And so it really does depend for the average person. Most people, I would say, can benefit from probiotic foods. The problem is, again, like anything, we can over-supplement, taking probiotic pills yes. and probiotic foods and all these. Now you're going to be pouring, it's way too much, right? It's too much of an influx. The apartment building can't hold 8 million people. It can hold 100, right? Back off, dial back and chill. And so average people, yes, mix up your diet. I don't advocate for one diet or another. Some people try it, try uh, fiber-rich foods. I personally eat a plant or a, a, I eat very seldom plants. I eat a fair bit of fruits, very mm. little, if any vegetables, unless I make a soup and it's mostly meat, fatty meats, butter, like animal products. And that's what I consume. And I feel really good doing it. So you have to test. Don't be afraid just because you've been told, well, kimchi is yeah. good for me. It doesn't mean it's good for everyone, right? Just because somebody said, well, I took this probiotic, it worked for me. doesn't mean it works for you. Right, our DNA, Jill, you and I as total strangers, we share about 99.9% of our DNA. We oh. share, depends on the estimates, between 10 and 20% of our, of our bacterial DNA. It's mm. vastly different. Okay. If, right, we have 23,000 different genes that actually make up the human genome. We have, I think it's something like 20 million different genes that make up your bacteria. Whatever the math is, it's 196 times more genes of bacteria than own genes that make your own human body, your own DNA. And so we, sh we share very little. And so everyone is so vastly unique that saying this worked for them, therefore it'll work for me, it makes no sense. I really respect that answer because I know it is really hard. I mean, it's so much easier just to give a definitive formula. And everyone wants a, everyone wants a formula, everyone wants a prescription. Um, but to be able to sit in that middle and be like, it depends. Like my, the very best mentors in my life always answer most questions with, it depends because there's so many factors. So I get it. I appreciate it. Yeah, it would depend less if I was trying to sell you something. I'll tell right. You much, then you right? could be like, this thing will fix it. So buy it now. <laughs> yeah. Totally. There's so many things. And, and there are people who mean well, who are dealing with health issues, who are consumers of certain products. And they will say, well, it worked for me. Everyone should try it. It's amazing. I can't believe this changed my health. It changed my gut. It's amazing. And I love that it worked for you. But to say it'll work for everybody, like I said, statistically speaking, it's nonsense. Um, now, some people will get lucky, which perpetuates the narrative, or there's, again, marketing dollars behind it, and that can be great. Now, are there better than alternatives for everyone? Hell yeah. I'm a huge advocate for things like stevia over sucralose, mm, because that's yeah. a much better option. Or I balk at the idea, even cane sugar versus like high fructose corn syrup, they're both shit. Yeah. High fructose corn yeah. syrup is directly connected to fatty liver disease and digestive issues and all kinds. But cane sugar is also highly acidic and inflammatory because it's a concentrate sugar. And so, again, there's so many nuances to things. I wish health was a DIY project. And there was a time when it used to be. It used to be go out, do some work, grow your food, do your thing, go see your neighbors and you're good and you just would be healthy. The body doesn't make mistakes. But we have so many things now contributing to biological, chemical, genetic errors in the body. We do need experts. Health is no longer a DIY project in the Western society. Yeah. Unless maybe you can go back and you know, subscribe to living in the jungle and hunting for your own food, you might correct over time. You might not. The damage might be too far gone. You might need expertise. You might need testing. You might need supplementation. And sometimes, unfortunately, it can be very expensive. Like gut health can be very expensive to fix. Sometimes thousands of dollars, sometimes a couple hundred bucks. Like I said, yeah. I've had people for pennies, a couple of cloves of garlic, crush it in some water, drink that down twice a day for a week. And your gut issues are good because it was so minor. But yes. if you're far gone, it's been decades, you're going to need some intensive help. And I say on average, you're one to two months for every year. 
one to two months mm-hmm. of intensive, yes. dedicated health for every year of gut issues. Yeah, which is always, it's so true, but frustrating because we're so used to the fix of a pill and how fast that is and how it seems like it's so simple. And so when you do go to the naturopaths and the the practitioners and it's, it's like it's a multi-year process sometimes, but I mean, it makes sense when it's that damaged. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's everything's multi-layered, right? I mean, everything in life is multi-layered. I don't care if you're building a house or whatever. And the challenge is, you know, I wish I could just give step-by-steps, right? People just want a blueprint. Give me the thing. What yes. are the five tips, the five hacks, the five tricks? It's all garbage. It's all clickbait. You know, I, I could tell you to build a house, you need a foundation, you need walls, you need a roof. But three things does not make a house. You need yes. engineers, you need blueprints, you need uh, electrical, you need plumbing, you need designers, you need architects. It takes a village. And so to come in and say, well, give me the five things to make my gut better, it doesn't work that way. I just, I wish it was that simple. I, I would, I would talk myself out yes. of a job if I could. Yes. I really would. I have such a passion for gut and health and in kids, like people who have kids, I'm gonna put this out there. I'm not gonna say I work for free. Right? I will do everything I can for as little to no money as I can if you have kids and genuinely can't afford the help. Mm. I have such a soft spot for kids because they are they're developing. Kids between five and nine years old. Like I, I got a mom I'm working with, and, and just just to give you guys an idea, like I'm not trying to promote myself. I really hate promotion, but you have to understand there's so much more you can do with kids. Uh, there's a there's a parent, she joined one of my programs and three months is not gonna be enough. After I got the labs and the test back, I'm mm. like, you're we'll be working with you for a year, but it's free. Because your kid needs this. He's between five and nine. His body's full of mold and he's got ulcerative mm-hmm. colitis. In five to nine is when the frontal lobes of the brain start to develop. Your kid will have developmental delays. He will be challenged for the rest of his life. We don't do this now. I don't care what it costs. I don't care if you get to break it down to 24 payments. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Like, let's just get you better. And so I think if practitioners and doctors started taking this approach, there would be a lot more money and investment actually put to this style of healthcare where people wouldn't be looking to scrape every penny, right? Yeah, yes. I make money when I sell supplements. I get a discount for you guys, but I make a bit. It's how I make up costs for keeping my program so cheap. Yes. But, you know, if you've got people who are making a 50, 80% profit and over-prescribing supplements because of the money they make, then we got another problem. And so you got to look, do I trust this person? Do I trust the information? Do I trust their ethics? And it's so hard to find somebody who will actually do it genuinely and just genuinely wants to, who isn't motivated by money. And I'm not perfect. I've been caught sometimes like, well, I could give them the supplement. It's not necessary, but I make a few bucks more. Yes. And all, I always have to check myself, right? Come back and say, well, do they need this? And that's what ethical practice should be. And I think that's at the root of all healthcare. If we can just look at it ethically and genuinely want to give a shit about other people and really help and lean in. And there are many good meaning, well-meaning doctors who go to school to help people, but get indoctrinated by the pharmaceutical industry who pays for the tests and pays for the textbooks and pays for the information they learn. They end up, a lot of them end up becoming what we'll call uh, well-meaning pharmaceutical reps. And it's really unfortunate. And, and the lens gets skewed. And, and as a sidebar, I know I've been talking for a while here, um, but as a sidebar, I, I'm working with a 16-year-old now with severe digestive disease. He has Crohn's, mm-hmm. five foot seven down to 93 pounds. And he was in our program working those two months in. He, was up, he gained 25 pounds, up to 118 pounds. Wow. And his doctor, he went back to see his GI specialist who said, well, I'm glad he's gaining weight, but I don't love the way you're doing it. Right? Unreal. 
Unreal. Meanwhile, his GI just would have given him doctors and kept him on these drugs, which were keeping him sick. Yeah. And so again, this isn't about promotion. I don't give a shit if you guys ever talk to me again, but I want you to know this one thing. Just because your doctor says it doesn't mean it's the best. Just because your doctor yes. knows a way doesn't mean you shouldn't seek a second opinion. Doesn't mean you shouldn't go holistic. It doesn't mean you shouldn't go find somebody else. Doesn't mean you shouldn't ask other opinions or explore other resources. Your doctor will balk. You'd be shocked. GI, gut specialist, GI is gastrointestinal. So a GI specialist, doctors, surgeons will tell you food has no bearing on gut health and gut mm -hmm. disease, whatever you want. And it's, it's wild. And that's the world we're living in. So please seek a second opinion. Please look for functional. Please look for holistic and just open your mind to, to different possibilities. I don't care if you ever speak to me, but speak to someone who can help you, who can give you a different lens. And if you can just consider it, it can do so much to change the life of yourself and others around you. I know I talked about Lynn earlier, the powerlifter who broke yes. his world records. Her kids and her grandkids now have this bill of health. Her, like, her kids now go to the gym and their grandkids now eat better than they ever did before because of what grandma started. And that's what you can do for yourselves and your families if you're just willing to open your mind and look a little further, look a little deeper and go beyond what you're being told right now. Yes. I think that's such a huge jump for most people. Maybe not everyone listening because my, my folks are already pretty um, indoctrinated, right? They're your <laughs> out of the box thinkers. But when I see just the normies again, like it is such a scary leap for them to, to be willing to be open to other possibilities because we have been so thoroughly kind of slap back. Like it's always Western medicine. You have to listen to your doctor. I'm not that there isn't a time and place for that standard caveat, whatever, but like it's so hard to take that first step of, of, being or daring to go against the system to say, okay, I know my doctor told me this. I trust my gut. <laughs> no pun intended that that's not the right <laughs> path for me. <laughs> and I'm going to go look for a second opinion. And I think if people can push through that fear in so many areas, gut health, doctors, your food supply, I think it's, it's one of the most important steps we can take, but I know I recognize how difficult that can be for folks. Well, it's a paradigm shift. Yes. And a lot of us, I mean, we have to, really be able to look, I vote conservative. And I'm sure you can tell based on how I talk and what I'm about that I'm, I'm not a very liberal individual. I don't know if it's what Democrat, Republican is in the States, but you can tell like certain political views tend to align with certain thought processes. I, I hate how it keeps coming back to politics, just an example I know. But when we start to look at these, certain people are open to certain shifts. Certain people are open to paradigms, but we can be so told, we can get into this echo chamber and just love only hearing what we know yes. that we lose so much of communication. It changes how we argue with, with individuals. It changes how we have discussions or educational um, debates. Instead of getting these emotional fights, we can look logically and rationally and sit down, okay, okay, well, everything you say disagrees with everything I say, but tell me why. Yes. Maybe I could learn something. And not to sit down, maybe I'll learn so you can learn, but maybe I can learn. And that's how we change stuff. But looking at health specifically, it is a big issue. You know, when I really got like really honed in and specializing in, in IBD and these gut diseases, they're considered autoimmune. There's nothing you can do, but all digestive disease is a spectrum. And so I started changing how I saw health because I was shown something different and I learned different. Now I want to teach people different. And I made a post on my Facebook and I said, nine out of 10 cases of ulcerative colitis can be fully reversed. And this is a very controversial statement in the health world. Just so you know, it's considered autoimmune. There's nothing you can mm. do. Take the drugs. Idiopathic means no known cause. It's genetic. God hates you. Whatever it is, yeah. this is what it is. And I got destroyed. I got flamed on Reddit. Somebody took that, posted it, blasted me. I had my calendar, was booked out three weeks in advance with people who were like, nope, at fuckyou.com. And just like the hate I got for changing this paradigm. And now here we are. 
I'm now working with some of the best of the best in the world in the same process that I started. I got actually got brought in as a medical lecturer at Priority Health Academy in the Functional Medicine Academy to teach doctors what we do because of how we're doing. But people hated me. I got threats. I actually yeah. got threatened in my inbox for giving a different perspective, saying maybe what your doctors told you is yeah. wrong. But so many people live a life in sickness. They identify with it, right? Yes. Have you ever watched House? Uh, House MD TV. Show. Oh yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, we, my husband and I were totally hooked on that for a while. Oh, I loved, I yeah. loved House, right? Lo- loved it. But there was one episode where this fella, he was deaf, and um, I don't know if he had a seizure, or whatever. But anyway, he was out, and while they were there, they put in this cochlear implant so he could hear. And he ended up ripping it out of his head because he didn't want to lose his community, mm. his whole, his friends, his friend circle. He connected because he was deaf. He connected with a deaf community. And unfortunately, in a lot of sickness communities, we have support groups. We have T-shirts that say, and I, I, can, I can destroy my career by saying this, but a colitis warrior. Like, mm. I love that you are part of something and want to improve. Yeah. But if we're of the paradigm, like this is my identity now and there's no way of improving and this is my people, this is my tribe, yes. you are actually inhibiting other people from getting better because of your your community, your want and your desire to be part of something, which I love and respect. We're, we're natural community beings. Yes. We want to be in community. We want to have friends circles. But if that is so much blocking your view of considering another opinion, that community has actually become toxic, not only for you, but for everybody else around you. You're preventing other people from getting healthy. Like these people on Reddit, actually, I almost, I almost, Jill, I almost quit. And it was like, I'm going to do something else because it was so discouraging to be harassed, yeah. to be threatened, to be flamed all over for doing something which was good, giving people their quality of life back in yeah. sometimes just a couple of weeks or months in helping these kids now live better lives. I almost gave all of that up because of the huge levels of discouragement and hate I got from people who couldn't consider another option. And so if you're listening, I encourage you, whether you agree with everything I'm saying or not, just open your mind because yeah. it might not only help yourselves, but it could change the lives of thousands and thousands of people around you. I'm now doing this podcast, right? my, my podcast and your podcast and others. We can reach millions of people with this message just because it was right after that. I posted on my Facebook and clients of mine whose lives I had changed and helped, they started calling, leaving voice notes. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually getting a little emotional about it yeah. because they were sharing what I had done for them and their kids, their five-year-old. He's got his color back. He can go and play with his friends. His feet don't hurt. He can run and be a little boy because that's what I did because they came back and encouraged me. Yes. And I almost gave all that up because of the hate that people kept around this, this paradigm they weren't willing to let go. And so I just encourage you guys so much, just open your mind. There's so much more to it. And your little actions can, it can be a, a rock in a pond and the ripple effect can go far beyond what you can imagine. Oh, so good. You know, I found the older I get, I, I'm drawn to certain types of people more than others. And I think one of the factors that really draws me to someone is if they've had the ability or awareness to change their mind about a topic they held dear at some point in their life. I find those are the most interesting people to talk to. They're the most empathetic people. Um, They're the most pleasurable to be around because it takes a lot for the human mind to let go of something it holds dear. And sometimes it's politics, sometimes it's religion, sometimes it's health, sometimes it's food. Um, But man, when someone is able to do that, even in just a little area, it's big and it changes them and it makes them, I think just better humans. So I, I applaud anyone who is brave enough to do that in whatever realm, because it's hard and it's scary and you will be ostracized. Like the system doesn't like it when you question it and it doesn't like you to be different. Um, and it's a big, scary step, but man, it can be so good. Like you said, 
you can either choose to to quit when it gets like that, or you can lean into it and and continue to change lives. So I applaud you for that. And I know how tough that can be. Yeah, it's not easy. And exactly that. I just accolades and, and applause to anybody who's willing to do that. I mean, look at 2020. Yeah. Right? Pandemic hit and it completely divided families and friends. I lost clients because I didn't share the same view. They're like, I'm not, I'm not working with you anymore. And, and that's okay. Like you do what you do, but it's not going to stop me doing from what I do and believe in what I believe. And if you can hold to that and be willing to, to move around, just have your convictions, Yeah. but still be open. Be open. Yeah. And that's different. I can still disagree with you and not hate you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, that's a shocking yeah. concept in today's culture. That's revolutionary. <laughs> right. There. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. But it applies to everything and your health is no different. Yes. And, and that's probably the, the biggest message I could give to anybody listening. Yeah, absolutely. And, and everyone's always like, well, it's science, you're anti-science because you don't, you, you know, you're not going along with Western medicine, which was, that was definitely a topic of 2020, of course. But I'm like, you know, science is not something by definition, it's not set in stone. Science is a process of asking questions and learning more. So I'm like, to say science is this fixed uh, set of ideas is rather anti-science. If, if we want. It's just funny how, you know, like you'd think modern medicine and its basis in the sciences would be like, hey, let's ask better questions, guys. Let's see if we can explore a new frontier. But it's like very much, no, do not, do not, uh, Pasco, do not collect $200. 100%. Yeah. And, and it's interesting we talked about the, the Western world of medicine is between 17 and 30 years behind on average. So the science you're following is actually out of date. You're just looking at the wrong science. Yeah. Right. You're looking at the one that's being shoved in your face, the one that your doctors are telling you you must listen to. And, and oftentimes, I'm just going to say they're wrong. Yeah. Right. There is wrong opinions out there. There is wrong misunderstandings, or we should say less than optimal. If you take gut issues and go, well, there's nothing we can do. We don't know why it's happening. You are stopping everybody else, even though you may not be willing to accept. The GI specialist who goes, well, I'm happy you're gaining weight, but I don't love how you're doing it. Yeah. You are now blocking countless other patients that you specialize in. You'll see hundreds of them a year. You're preventing them now from getting the help they need because you don't like it, or you don't agree with it, or you don't understand it. And that's a big problem. Yeah, absolutely. Ugh. I could go on for days about that one. Man. Um, I know it's an endless, it's an endless, it's an endless. Yeah. We could just rant forever. Um, what else? What, anything else is before we, before we wrap up that is just on your heart that you're wanting to share? Oh my God. You know what, Joe, I'm sure there's so many things we could talk about. We could go so many different directions with it, but I think we've covered so much. I mean, if your listeners have questions, like for sure, you know, feel free to reach out. You can find me on social, just shoot me a note. Um, I'm really bad at Instagram. I'm awesome on Facebook. Okay. Good I'm to know. I'm really bad at managing more than <laughs> right. one uh, social platform. Yeah. If you send me an email, perfect. I get my emails. I get Facebook. I'm a dinosaur. Okay. Jill, I'm not great at social media. I, appre- I mean, if you're going to be not great at something, I think social media is a great thing to just be bad at. Totally. I really do. Yeah, social media, social media and growing potatoes are my two. There you go. Things. I can deal with that. We can still be friends. <laughs> yeah, it's so, okay. Yeah, my, my wife's on my social media on Instagram, so she's helping with questions come in. She directs them to me. Otherwise, I will miss them. So you can okay. reach me on Instagram, Facebook if you have questions. Otherwise, I think we've done an awesome job at covering all the things. Yeah. And you know, honestly, I can have you back because I'm the boss of this podcast. So if we come up with another mm-hmm. angle or I just might have to have you back to chat again in another couple months. So that's definitely an option. Sure. Um, can you just yeah, remind if people- if your listeners vote. Yes. Well, I, so I'm going to say, yeah, if your listeners want to yes. hear back, let me know. So if you want to hear Josh back, you have specific questions for Josh, just send me a message or, you know, you guys know how to get a hold of me and we'll, uh, we'll put him back on the roster. What is your handle name on Facebook? And I don't know, are you comfortable sharing your email address here? Or do you want to give a website? Like what's the best way just so people can, we can put that in show notes yeah. too. 
Yeah, totally. Um, if you guys have questions, for sure, you can reach out to me. Best way to reach me is Facebook. Um, I give my email, but I always like just one thing. That way you can reach me easily. Yeah, sure. You know yes. where to find me. I find if I give nine things, people just kind of get confused, don't know where. Um, so you can reach me on social at joshdeck.health. That's Josh Deck, D-E-C-H, uh, as in Delta Echo Charlie Hotel, joshdeck.health. And uh, if you guys want to learn more about gut health, the number one thing I can tell you, uh, if I can, Jill, is to plug Reversible. That's Reverse Able, A-B-L-E, the ultimate gut health podcast. And it's all about the gut. We are talking to some of the best of the best in the world. We did have Jill on there with an interview yet to be published, actually. We're like eight months ahead on content. That's impressive, by the way. I wish I was eight months ahead on content. (laughs) It was, it was a grind, Jill, I'm telling you. It was so much work. I did 15 interviews a week for like two and a half months. Oh, oh. Yeah, it was a lot, but uh, very blessed to have these guests. We have some of the world's most renowned. They've been on TV for 30 years. I'm actually like trying to get Dr. Oz on board. Mm. I had Lisa Bill Yu, who like owns Quest Nutrition, if you know Impact yeah. Theory. So yeah. it's just an amazing roster of doctors and some of the best gut health information you can possibly find. It's called Reverse Able, the ultimate gut health podcast. Yes. You can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. Fabulous. Yes, everybody go check that out for sure because it's good stuff over there. He's Josh does a great job with his show. So I do my best. Yeah. I'm a solid six. Out of 10. I mean, it's all, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> so what else can we hope for? So, well, appreciate it. oh my goodness. Thank you so, so much for your time today. Um, this was absolutely fantastic. I can't wait to hear the feedback from this episode. I know people are going to uh, just really enjoy it. So thank you for your time. Thank you for allowing me to reschedule. I don't know if we told everybody I completely messed up the scheduling last week. He, Josh texts me. He's like, are we talking today? And I was like getting on an airplane. I'm like, oh no, no, we are not talking today. So he's very gracious to reschedule. So thank you for that. And let's stay in touch because I think there's more good things to come with this collaboration. Yeah, we got you. I'll look forward to it. Thank you, Jill. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Yes. Take care. Okay. Cheers.